This week, we're going to be talking about the gray zone. So the way we define the gray zone is when you're part of two cultural groups, um, but don't necessarily fit into either one fully. Um, It's like being in the middle of a Venn diagram. Yeah. So this is something that Katie and I both um, have experienced and sort of exist in, uh, and we wanted to talk about it we wanted to talk about what that's like and how that has how you navigate that and kind of gotten us to where we are today yeah do you want to start or sure okay (laughs) well um so I'm mixed um my dad is Jamaican he's black and my mom's family is German they're white they're all from central Minnesota um so already those are two very contrasting identities, I guess. So to be right in the middle is, it's a... It's a task. <laughs> it's a difficult and, and beautiful and interesting experience all in one. Um, most of my extended family that lives in the U.S. is on my mom's side and they're all white. They're all farmers. They all grew up in mostly rural areas, and I grew up in a suburb or in a city. Um, And my dad's side of the family a lot live in other countries, so we don't see them as often. So we definitely grew up in more white spaces than in black or Caribbean spaces. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Very similar to Anna. Um, I would identify more as multicultural than multiracial. Um, I'm a South Korean adoptee to uh, a mother who is uh, first-generation German. Um, And then my dad is, um, like, mixed European, but very white, very, (laughs) very, very white. Um, And for me, it was definitely a struggle growing up because I was in these predominantly white spaces with a white family, but I wasn't white. Mm -hmm. And so navigating what that's like because everybody else is told to do something or, oh, this is what you have to do. Like, this is how you do your hair. This is how you do your makeup. And, but for you, it's different. And I think (laughs) just trying to like navigate that was definitely something that um and it puts you in a weird place yeah definitely I mean the gray zone is kind of how we became friends yeah that's so true (laughs) um we were in the same friend group but one day had a conversation about being in the gray zone being in that in between of two dominant or or um like big identifiers yeah um, and kind of what that's like, and that's why that's how yeah, we became like good yeah. friends. <laughs> now here we are. Yeah. Now here we are. Our together. German moms yes. have brought us together. They did <laughs> unintentionally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, you want to talk about like what it what this looks like in your life, in your yeah. friendships, and relationships, things like that. Yeah. So for me, um, South Korean culture puts a really large emphasis on like knowing your heritage 
um, taking care of your ancestors. And I think that to come from a culture where knowing your heritage is so important to the point where a lot of adoptees are kind of looked down upon because they don't know their heritage to a very German family who also very puts high emphasis in being 100% German. It was very difficult, I think, mm-hmm. with my how I wanted to identify and like how I identified. Mm-hmm. Um, there was definitely so many times in my life where I was like, I wish I could just wake up and be white. It'd be so much easier. Yeah. Um, but I mean, now that I'm, I mean, at where I am in my life, I feel like it wouldn't make it easier. I would just mm-hmm. make it more, um, I don't want to say ignorant, but it would just make it more like easier to turn a blind eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that I was raised in the way I was because, I mean, with what I know now, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't possibly, you know, like turn a blind eye anymore. Right. It puts you in a space where you have to pay attention to yeah. everything mm-hmm. because in some way you fit into that mm-hmm. and you're affected by that. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up for me, I remember always thinking, like, I don't know if I'm black enough to do that. I don't know if I'm black enough to say that or to hang out with those people or to be in this space, things like that, because I, my household and my neighborhood are very white. Um, So I didn't grow up with a lot of staples of American black culture, like a lot of movies, a lot of music, a lot of um, like cookouts, things like that, going to the barbershop, things like that, that are sort of attached or identified with black culture I didn't experience. Mm -hmm. And so that a lot of times made me question, like, what does my black identity look like then? Mm -hmm. And knowing that the world is always going to look at me as black before they look at me as white because of my skin tone, my hair, my my physical features, everything like that. But then not necessarily feeling like I fit into what blackness has been defined for me as. Mm-hmm. And blackness is so many things, but what yeah. I saw growing up, I didn't necessarily feel like mm-hmm. I could be a part of. But at the same time, like going to all of my family events on my mom's side, my siblings <laughs> and my dad and I were the darkest people in the room and we yeah. just stuck together. Like you my family's to, great man. and they love us and they're all of that, but it's just different. Yeah, it's it a different is. experience and we kind of just stuck together because yeah. we couldn't fully relate to it. Yeah. them and there was a little bit of like stepping on toes and, or not stepping on toes walking on eggshells things like that mm-hmm. but yeah mm-hmm. I mean yeah my family my mom's side is really different because like very much so they're still part of like Roman Catholic mm-hmm. um I have aunts who are nuns um I have a lot of family members who believe in Keeping the bloodline pure. Um, and honestly, I, you, you hear about it and you're like, there's no way that like there's someone who believes so much in like the Aryan race of like, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it, it became very real um, when I was like in my teens. Yeah. 
because you just hear comments mm-hmm. and then they start making more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think another big thing is that when we were growing up, we were in a time in the U.S. when being multicultural and being multiracial was just becoming more common mm-hmm. and more yeah. like seen. Yeah. And especially in like media interpretation, like yeah. in literature, anything, like anything. You never you never would see like a story with the main character as like being mixed. Being mixed or, or being, being adopted yeah. or anything like that. And Having even even identity. now, yeah, even in twenty twenty one, like we're just getting to that. Right. <laughs> which is right. which is crazy when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. It's it's interesting to think about like how many so okay I I remember going to school with a lot of other mixed kids and having close family friends that were also mixed and part of me is is thinking I wonder if those were our family friends because (laughs) their family looked like my family um but yeah with what you're saying about it just coming to be in the media, mm-hmm. one thing that stands out to me is Obama. Obama yeah. is mixed. Obama's mixed. Mm-hmm. Like his mom was white. And I remember hearing him labeled as like, oh, he's a black president. He's the first black president. But then learning that prior to running for office or for the president's presidential office, when he was a senator, like people identified him as mixed. And then when he first started his candidacy, he was identified as mixed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people didn't like him or didn't like that he was mixed. But then once he gained popularity, the black community, and I don't want to say all of the black community, but the black community seemed to accept him more and weren't calling him mixed, but calling him strictly black. And And I don't, it was a weird thing for me to see. And I don't know how that affects him personally, yeah. obviously, but that was somebody, that was one of the first times that I saw someone who was also mixed race mm-hmm. in a position of power, in a high position of power. Yeah. And that was like, that was huge. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's so interesting because, I mean, I very obviously don't look white. <laughs> I am very much Asian. And I think that for me, it is. It wasn't until like recently when I really began like, like I always had an appreciation for my, like my Eastern Air, Asian heritage. But it wasn't until recently when I began like like I can wear like traditional garments. Mm-hmm. I can wear traditional like hair pieces and things like that. And I think that for me, it became that sense of like, who am I owing it to kind mm-hmm. of or like am, who whose standard am I living up to mm-hmm. and I think so much in the media because like you can't just automatically like you see someone and like like you were mentioning like when you see us like people's mm-hmm. first are like oh she's black mm-hmm. oh she's Asian mm-hmm. like you don't know that mm-hmm. especially and especially on a college campus when yeah. you don't see someone's parents yeah that's something that I like kind of struggle with is when my parents come to visit like it's very obvious that Mm -hmm. I am not like biologically their child Mm -hmm. and I think that that was such a interesting shift when I came to college too yeah because I mean I was you you walk around with your family you go to the park with your family you go out to dinner and everybody's just looking at you like what 
you know, like something doesn't click. Yeah. But coming to college, that was such a shift. And I think that, I mean, both good and bad ways, I think it became like an escape Mm -hmm. from like having to always constantly think about like how you identify and like where I am in this place, you know? That's true. That's true. Yeah. I agree. But I think also coming to this campus, you had to redefine who you are. Oh, yeah. Again. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, at home for me, there's so many mixed families. There's so many different, like, people who identify with different backgrounds and cultures and races and ethnicities and all of that. But, and that exists on this campus, but not to the extent as mm-hmm. what I exist in at home. Mm-hmm. And so coming here, it's like trying to figure out again, where do I fit in? Yeah. And yeah. there's there's a big racial divide on campus. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we just had an experience recently where we were like, we're comfortable in white spaces because that's mm-hmm. what we grew up in. And we're socializing in a dominant, in a white dominant space. And some of our friends who are with us are black and and some of them from out of the country. And so who are used to like black dominant spaces and there was a, there was a comfort level difference Mm -hmm. between the two of us and them. And I don't know, it just, it made me think about the gray zone. It made me think about that in between and like, how do I move on campus knowing that I'm a part of the black student, I'm the vice president of the black student union, Mm -hmm. knowing that I do a lot of work in the multicultural an office of multicultural student affairs, and that I have become a a figure—not a figurehead, but I've become like a voice yeah. for a lot yeah. of Black students and a lot of students of color. But also, how do I navigate that I'm also half white? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. trying to figure that out yeah. is is difficult. It I don't really think I is. still have. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I still have. Yeah, and I think. I mean, specifically to talk about, like, the Asian population on this campus, it's there. Mm-hmm. It's just not very vocal or very, um, yeah, it's just not very much there or supported, I feel like, on this mm-hmm. campus. And I think for me, very obviously growing up in, like, the United States and having very much this American side of me, but also having this, like, German side of me, mm-hmm. you know, like, drilled in. Yeah. Um, it became really hard to have conversations with international students from Eastern Asian countries because there was this difference in cultures and norms and values. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I often get, like, the comments of, like, oh, I'm very brash or I'm very, like, assertive mm-hmm. for an Asian female Mm. and it goes along with like those stereotypes of like to be an Asian female like you are submissive like Mm -hmm. more like quiet and for anyone who knows me like that's definitely (laughs) like not not. just not it um but I definitely notice like how it like affects how I go into friendships on this campus like new Mm -hmm. friendships but also how I interact with people just in general. Yeah. Um, a lot of, I mean, like, as Anna was saying, like, a lot of my friends are, 
like identify as black or mm-hmm. African. And I think for me, like obviously not black or African, <laughs> um, it creates questions around like, okay, well, where, where are my cultural spaces? Where mm-hmm. am I like, where, where is it okay for me to take up space? Yeah. And where is it, you know, where this is. And I like identify that, like, this is like not a space for me. Like mm-hmm. this is like something for you guys, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. Mm-hmm. But then it's kind of like on this campus, it's like, whoa, where, where is Where's that? Your space? You know? Right. So. Yeah. You said something that made me think about code switching. And that's one thing that we wanted to talk about. And code switching happens for so many people mm-hmm. of color in general. Mm-hmm. In general. That's just a reality. Okay, if you don't know what code switching is, it's when you change the vocabulary and like punctuation and tone and the way you like, speak like the way you hold yourself too yeah mm-hmm. it, the way you present yourself the way you speak depending on what environment you're in mm-hmm. and a lot of the time most of the time that I hear or use the term code switching it's in reference to like different racial groups or different ethnic groups mm-hmm. so when you're in a white space you speak and act differently than when you're in a black space or when you're in like an Asian dominated space. Um, but yeah, it, you, you made me think of code switching and this is something that we have both talked about on several occasions. And I think for me being with fitting into the gray zone, I feel like I code switch all the time. I know I code switch mm-hmm. all the time, yeah. but sometimes I question if what I'm the way I'm speaking is like authentic. Authentic. Yeah. Am I just trying to fit into one mm-hmm. of my two identities mm-hmm. or is this like is this like a defense mechanism? Is it like yeah. what is why am I code switching and why am I thinking about the fact that I'm code, code switching? switching? Yeah. And for me, this is more with, like, social interactions. Mm -hmm. Because I know in classes, in meetings, professional world type stuff, I know I code switch. And I know that's just my reality. That's just what I have to do in order to fit into the professional, Mm quote-unquote, world. Um, But in social interactions, sometimes I think of, like, why am I – why did I say that like I said it? Mm -hmm. Did I try to do that to seem like I can fit in? Or Mm -hmm. is that actually how – I I wanted to say it, (laughs) you know? I think, yeah, I think that's also interesting because, I mean, as a comm major, you also have to think about, like, how Mm -hmm. the other side is, like, perceiving you. Yeah. Ooh, that's that's a whole other wormhole. Here we go, sociology rant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think, I mean, from my experience, you know, growing up in a predominantly white area, especially with, like, making new friends and, like, Mm -hmm. dating – the way you approach people is so different. It's, it's so, so different. It really is. And I, like, there's always, like, since I was a young girl, there's always been that debate about, about like, Asians being, like, a BIPOC. Mm, like, and whether yeah. or not they are part of that. And I think that, so that definitely changed how I was going to approach other BIPOC, mm. but also how I approach, like, white people. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I'd say that I have, like, a good amount of friends who are in both categories. 
probably closer to BIPOC as I get older. I agree. But not to say that the friendships I have with, like, my friends who identify as white aren't as... Aren't authentic. Yeah, or valid or, you know, appreciated. But it's definitely very different. Um, And I, like, something you made me think about is, like, especially on a, like, predominantly white school, Mm -hmm. when there is... Like, the dating pool <laughs> is primarily white, but yeah. both for female and male, um, regardless of, like, your sexuality, I feel like it changes how you approach people. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like, you're, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but, like, I've had thoughts where I'm like, oh, no, like, is this person going to be like, I don't want to be with you because you're not white? Mm. Or, oh, I want to be with you because you're not white. Yeah. You know, and it goes back and forth. Um, I mean that, and it, yeah, it brings up like fetishizing, yeah, and <laughs> being the both of us, like being an Asian yeah. woman and a and a light skinned mixed yeah. race woman. That fetishizing is real. It really is, and yo, it really is. It's part of that. It's part of because, I mean, for myself being light skinned, there's that whole light skin dark skin debate, which. I think is ridiculous and destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, but like light skinned women are praised by the media. Yeah. And like you were saying, yeah. when you meet people, sometimes mm-hmm. you think like, okay, oh, how yeah. are they doing me? Yeah. For me, when people meet me and they're like, Oh, you're so beautiful, you're so attractive, blah, blah, whatever, is it because of that I'm light skinned? Mm-hmm. And and because light skinned women are often placed on a pedestal for their looks and having like good hair and good skin and all of that or you know like that always crosses my mind that always the whole idea of do you like me just because of me my race yeah oh yeah 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 and yeah you know I think something you said made like made me have a thought now I'm losing (laughs) my train of thought but um I hate when this happens <laughs> but oh yeah but basically about like yeah like is someone gonna approach you and be like I want to date you because I've never been with someone like who identifies like you before or um just like their experiment time like mm-hmm. I don't know if you like oh but like I get it, college is a time for experimenting. But, but that's the that's, that's, that's you don't get to play with people's yeah. like yeah. racial and ethnic background because there's so much. I don't know if people understand how internalized half of this is, mm-hmm. how much you think about it and you question yourself on it. Mm-hmm. And this this is something we've had conversations about the confidence that you once yeah. as a as a woman of color. Once you find your confidence, once you're able to build yourself up, that becomes it's a self so, like defense mechanism. Yeah, yeah. But but your confidence becomes so strong. Yeah. Because you've had to endure yeah. so many like critiques and little things like that. Um, What's that say? Uh, fake it till you make it. Real. But fake it till you become it. Yeah. And I think that's so true because so many. BIPOC mm-hmm. lose their innocence, lose that sense mm-hmm. of innocence when things so are on. anything's possible at such a young age because everybody 
is taking their outer appearance and is basically like, you can't do this, you can't do this, you yeah, can't do this. It's always like, critiqued, it's always yeah. mentioned, it's Someone always, always feels considered. like they have a place to say a comment, regardless of what it is. Right. Um, I remember my thought from earlier <laughs> <laughs> about how, like, from, like you're talking about being light-skinned. For mm-hmm. me, I'm considered, like, darker toned for mm-hmm. Asians. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, looked down upon. Yeah. But that... I'm also very American. Like, my mannerisms right. are very American. Right. And so when guys, like, or girls, I don't know, approach me, it's that sense of, like, oh, you're Asian, but you're also American, so you're more appealing. Because mm. I am closer to being, like, white. Yeah. And I think that's just such an interesting contrast because then for other BIPOC, they see me as, like, oh, she's Asian, but she's also she she's very much white mm. and it's it's weird you know it is weird it is weird yeah yeah I definitely I definitely especially my freshman year mm. was going through that mm-hmm. and because like you like I said like you come from out of state nobody knows you here and it's that whole idea of reinventing your identity and your image mm-hmm. and one of those things was how do I fit, how do I find and how will I fit into the black community on campus? Mm-hmm. And am I going to, and being from Minnesota, it's a very white state. Yeah. Am I going to be viewed as mm-hmm. some whitewashed black girl? Mm-hmm. Or like, mm-hmm. how is that all going to work out? Because I was so used to in high school and at home, my best friend is mixed. My best friend mm-hmm. looks like me that a lot of my close friends looked like me mm-hmm. and and had gone through that experience and growing up in being a part of two spaces. And so coming here, I was like, okay, well, how am I going to... I'm going to have to re-navigate this mm-hmm. in a new space yeah. and essentially by myself because I don't know if I'm going to find anybody who is mixed and has experienced what I have experienced. Mm-hmm. Even if I do... I don't know, like, if we're going to be friends, if I'll be yeah. able to talk about it. Like, I don't know what. You know, yeah. you're walking into something new, and and you got to figure out how you're going to present yourself. I think that's crazy, because for me, I, like, I never got those conversations until mm. I came to college. Like, honestly, yeah. with you, like, that, I, like, those were one of the first times I was getting to have those conversations, really? because there was no one that was There's like no me like that. around, like, and yeah. I think that it was <laughs> R.I.P. No, <laughs> um, but like coming to college, it definitely like changed my perspective on like how I how I even define mm-hmm. like fitting in. Because mm-hmm. I mean, still on this campus, I don't have someone who is adopted and Asian, you know, as a close friend or someone right. who like looks like me or that I can like be like, oh, I resemble you, you right. know. It's funny because I'm like, oh, I, I feel like I resemble you or, you know, like some other individuals on this campus who I will not name <laughs> for their confidentiality, but um, that I identify more with people who have been through similar things mm-hmm. rather than who look like me. Yeah. I've always found, I've always found community in, mm-hmm. personally, I've always found community in people who are mixed mm-hmm. or who experience this gray zone, this in-between um, I've always felt like 
I can connect with them more easily. Mm-hmm. You understand what I've been through. I understand mm-hmm. what you've been through. I understand your everyday thoughts mm-hmm. and experiences. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's just, it's like a whole different world. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a whole different world when, when you don't look like both of your parents. Yeah. And you don't necessarily, well, for you, you mm-hmm. don't look like your siblings. Yeah. Or you don't look like the people in your family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes me think of how when we're at um, big family events on my mom's oh side my gosh, and people know. ask, like, who her kids are, <laughs> she'll be like, oh, the ones with the brown hair. Those yeah. are mine. <laughs> the ones, yeah. Those are mine. <laughs> That's so funny. Because yeah, all my cousins are white. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because this, this is the most thing ever. <laughs> But my brother and I used to get, like, questions like, oh, is this your girlfriend? Mm. Like, thinking that automatically my brother is, like, my parents' child and right. that I'm the girlfriend visiting the family. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that ugh, first and foremost. <laughs> <laughs> but it it changes how you view yourself. Though. Right. It's the looking glass mirror. Right. Sociology, sorry. Sociology. But, like, it changed, like, you thinking about how others perceive you changes how you perceive yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that the gray zone really makes you really have to take a look at like who you are, mm-hmm. and, like how you identify, and right? In some sense, be stronger in how you identify, right? Regardless of stereotypes or regardless of like what is perceived as expected mm-hmm. to be part of that identifying yeah. cultural group. Yeah, I think being. recognizing this gray zone being a part of it and that has made me stronger in my identity like you said yeah because there's for so many years I've had to think about okay how do I fit in where do I fit in Mm -hmm. what things can I claim what do I think I cannot claim Mm -hmm. and and it happened I mean you think about it all the time it's still a process it's like I'm still figuring out Mm -hmm. as I'm going and I mean, I have doubts all the time. Yeah. There are times where I've said, like, I know I can do this, and I know I don't need to question it, but I'm questioning if I'm mm-hmm. black enough to do mm-hmm. or say X, Y, Z. And I know that the answer is going to be, yeah, you can do that. You can claim that. It's mm-hmm. part of your identity. But at the same time, there's always a thought in the back of your head of, like, is it, though? Yeah. I think I think where that comes from and, like, being mixed is because we have a connection, close connection to being white yeah and the thing is that like being white is the dominant culture here in the right. u.s and racism especially in the u.s is it's it's very much black and white yeah like it is white against everything else and mm-hmm. i think that because we are very much like strongly identified bipoc women yeah but that we're also very much closely connected to a dominant culture right it puts us in such a weird like, <laughs> because I feel like for individuals who are multiracial, but let's say like if someone's Blasian, that's so different than if you were like black and white or mm-hmm. Asian and white, you mm-hmm. know, because you are still connected to that dominant culture that's that you're kind of like eh, about, but yeah. at the same time you're like, uh, that's me. Yeah, and it's it, that's really interesting. We were <laughs> the other week we were talking about what the whitest thing was about 
and like yeah. different things that like you that know that we strongly identify yeah. with that are also like, very connected to whiteness. This. Yeah, I will admit this. I I love alternative rock music from like the nineties and eighties, like like Blink One Eighty Two, you know, Green Day. Like yeah, it's that was very much like a a white movement at the time. Mm-hmm. But I love it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could go into the whole conversation about what is whiteness, what is, how do you define what fits into a subculture or a certain culture's... being female. um, Yeah. Because... That's a whole big... White, like, beauty standards versus everything else. Oh, my God. So much. That's a whole whole nother podcast. Yeah. Well... Thank you for coming to another episode of Countertop Conversations.